Hey, if you have your Bibles, we'll be starting off with a wonderful little text in Matthew chapter 12. So as you make your way to Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, I'll take this opportunity to tell you just how privileged and honored I am to be up here teaching out of this marvelous book, God's Word. I think, uh, I guess, I suppose over the years I've learned to appreciate the marvelous character of the book that's set before us today. With its super keen insights, right? This Bible can touch us. It has super keen insights. It can deeply probe into humanity. It can read you. Imagine that. This book is supernatural. We know it can come to life and be living and sharp with a little help from the Holy Spirit. Amen? I suppose that's my prayer for this morning is that the Spirit would teach us something today. And that we'd be receptive to it and that it would change us for the better. It has that power if we let it. Amen? That's my prayer this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. Matthew, quoting the prophet Isaiah, says this. A broken reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not extinguish. Amen? Will you pray with me and ask the Lord to help us? Father, we're so grateful, for first of all, for your people. We're grateful that you brought them here together. We're grateful for the families that they represent. I pray that you would bless us for being here with you today. Father, I pray that your spirit would teach us something. And as it does, Father, I pray that your perfect word would have its perfect way in us and that we would be changed for the better. So be with us and be glorified in what we learn and the benefit that we have. Be glorified today in the study as you are in heaven. In, in Jesus' name, <coughs> amen. <coughs> Sorry. Amen? Hey, is that some wonderful imagery? A bent or, or, or bruised reed and a smoking flax. See, I can see it in my mind's eye. I don't know if you can, but I can see this slender, tall reed, right? Bruised, half crushed, just about ready to be broken off, hidden amongst the riverbanks, yeah? Or the little lamp. Can you picture the lamp in your head? A little lamp with a little piece of flax hanging off it, and it's smoking. Nearly extinguished, but a wisp away from darkness. Nothing but a little glowing ember in that flax. Can you see this imagery? Can anybody relate to this imagery? Can our lives or the people around us, can you sense that imagery? You can almost taste it, right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, where we do play the bruised reed and the smoking flax. Amen? There's times when that is our state, where we are nothing more than bruised and bent over, smoldering and suffocating from life's pressure and life's pain. Amen? That can be you and I. For some of us, The image of a healthy, upright reed that's sturdy, nourished by the waters, rooted deeply in the riverbanks of confidence is nothing but a distance blur. That was yesterday. We're broken. We're bent over. We're about this close from getting the snot kicked out of us. That can happen. Whether from our own doing from the consequences of our own sin or just from the bruises and the bumps 
in the pressures of this daily grind that you and I live every day. Amen? Does it really matter? I'm going to ask you something. Does it really matter when you're in that state of brokenness, when you're bent over, feeling like, who can help me? Does it really matter how you got there? We're bent over, reeling from it all, reeling from real pain. Pain like addiction, abandonment, rejection. That sound familiar to anybody? My wife told me to keep it raw this morning. I can, I can go further. How about infidelity? How about divorce? How about strained and broken relationships and families? How about that? How about health issues? And I'm not talking about I have hammer toe. I'm talking about real health issues. There's people in this congregation that have cancer, that are stroke survivors, that have chronic pain and disease. And some of us have tasted the worst of it all. You've tasted the death of a loved one. That's real stuff. That's stuff that can leave us bruised and bent, a wisp away from being cracked off. For the others here, maybe that doesn't resonate. How about the smoking flax? Yeah, you, you, you picture that little lamp? How about that? Does that ring a bell? Sometimes that flame is a distant blur. Do you remember when you were a flame for Christ? Do you remember when you, when you just burned with passion? But now, you're weak and flickering. You're holding on. You're but a breath away from being extinguished, you see? Somehow, the cold, harsh winds of life have worn us down, amen? It whipped our flickering flame, leaving us one breath away from darkness. Life can do that to us. And I, maybe you don't need this reminder. Sometimes I need to. Because in those states, we grasp. We're desperate. And sometimes we look to society, to culture, to the world, to solve our problems. Sometimes we look within and say, doggone it, I'm going to pick myself up off this ground. I, I'm convinced this one thing is that we're all about one phone call away from our knees. You got those phone calls? We're all about there, and we hit our knees. We're doubled over by what this life can bring us. And I'll tell you what, if you look to culture and you look to society, you look for your inner strength, remember, you can do whatever you put your mind to. Eh. Have you ever done that before? And you pull your bootstraps up. And you hit a knee and you come up. And you know what life can do sometimes if you let it? It kick you right in the face. And you'll end up on your stomach. And there's someone standing over you. And it's culture and it's society going one, two. And you're looking up like you can't even see. It's counting the knockout. You see, we need someone with a firm but gentle touch that can heal and not hurt We need someone who can fan our flame again and not extinguish us. And there's good news today. Okay, there's good news. This text here explains how our Lord Jesus Christ treats us, the bruised reed and the smoking flax. It says here that he will not extinguish us. He will not break us off. He responds with tenderness, compassion, a special touch of gentleness in our lives just when we need him the most. Psalm chapter 34, 
verse 18 says this. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It's extraordinary that our Lord would have his greatest affinity to us in our state of bruises, in our state of smoking. There's something about that it attracts our Lord to. That's a wonderful quality. Really, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but this is what I see in our text today. I see the mercy of God. I see his merciful, compassionate character. That's what I see, and that's what we want to talk about today. It's the mercy of God. That's what I'd like to talk about in just three simple points, okay? The mercy of God. First thing I want to point out to you is I want to show you what Scripture has to say about the mercy of God. We'll see that it, he it truly is a God full of mercy and compassion. We'll show you that this mercy has a pedigree. It flows out of something, and it's God's goodness. Point two, I want to show you, I'm going to give you a no-duh statement, point two, and that is everybody needs mercy. Everybody needs compassion. Everybody needs it for salvation, and everybody needs it to live day by day with. That's point number two. And point number three, I just want to cover a couple of obstacles that we all can face, right? Just a couple obstacles that we can face that, keep, that can keep us from obtaining God's mercy. You ready? Now, you know what? I, it's been a while since I've been up here. I said, are you ready? Yes. You know how it works, right? You don't remember? You don't remember me, this little guy up here? Come on. Are you ready? Yes. You know, I've been... Teaching at the high school group, and uh, I, I kind of, I, I, I get excited about the Lord and his word, and, and I was teaching, and, and when I came off and I was driving home with my son who's in high school, he, he said, he looked over at me, I didn't even say anything, he goes, Dad, you got to lighten up a little bit. I said, I'm passionate, come on. So I'm going to need some help today. So I'm going to hear some amens and some hallelujahs and wake up. I know this is the breakfast club, but come on. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. He's a God of mercy. Amen. He's a God of mercy. According to 2 Corinthians, thank you, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Yeah. That is amazing to me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, He is rich in mercy because of the great love he showed us. He's wealthy in mercy. He's the father of it. I'm going to define mercy this way, okay? It's an outward expression, okay? An outward manifestation of pity and compassion that withholds right justice. It puts the brake on things that you deserve. It assumes a need on the part who's receiving it, and it assumes the resources that are adequate to meet those needs by the person who bestows it. Does that make sense? Mercy is, just, let me put it this way. Mercy is simply getting, not getting what you deserve. Does that make sense? It's not getting what you rightly deserve. It's pulling back what you deserve, holding it, being pitiful and compassionate, condescending to your level and saying, you deserve it, but I'm not going to give it to you. It's really the opposite side of the coin of grace. Did you know that? If mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve, right? That's grace. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You did, he didn't do anything for that. All you do is believe in that and you got it, right? Mercy and grace. You remember that old hymn? We owed a debt we could not pay, 
right? You need mercy. Your life, in my life, when you tally it up, you can't pay that. The running, uh uh-uh, the sinning. You owed a debt you couldn't pay. You needed someone to condescend and have compassion on you. That's mercy. But remember the other part of the hymn? He paid a debt he did not owe. That's grace. Mercy and grace. How wonderful is this aspect of our God? That he's full of compassion, plentiful in mercy, as the psalmist would proclaim. Amen? And according to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, it's never-ending. It's new every morning. So if you think you wasted what you had yesterday, guess what? Just like that manna those, those Israelites ate the day before, guess what was there every morning? New manna. You have new mercies every morning. Hallelujah. Hey, mercy has a pedigree. Okay, it flows from a root. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way before, but I believe it flows from one of the seven perfect attributes of God. Mercy is not one of them. It flows out of that attribute of God that we call goodness. We have a good, good God. Amen? It flows out of the source of this inner sense of well-being that he is good, that he enjoys the Trinity. Long before we entered the picture, he was good, you see? And out of that, I don't know if you've thought of it this way, but out of that inner sense of well-being, our God's happy. Our God has a smile on his face. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, we serve a happy God. That blessed word that describes our God, that's our happy word. That's not well-spoken of blessed. This is markerios in the Greek. This is, he's a happy God. I don't know if you ever thought about God that way, but he's not grumpy. He's a good, good God. He has a sense of well-being and enjoyment. And he's also happy. He has a smile on his face. And out of that, it's natural that mercy would flow. You ever met a grumpy person who extends mercy? No, 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 no. Those are the judgment ones, right? All the dads in here are going, oh. Mercy, I don't know if you ever looked at mercy this way, but mercy, it, uh, it really needs a needy subject to express itself. Does that make sense? It, inter us, right? <laughs> In that sense, it wasn't an eternal activity of God. You see, it needed a needy subject to condescend to. It needed something to pity. It surely didn't pity itself in eternity past. You see, we entered it. It's really a response in time, showing pity and compassion towards the weary sinner. Mercy is truly the aspect of God's goodness in time and space. Amen? Mercy is amazing. Flows from that wonderful pedigree from God's goodness. And we have a good, good God. You know, if you want to look at Scripture and examples in the Bible of God's mercy, you have to look no further. Here's my favorite. It's, the Bible's full full of it. But my favorite one is the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that always our best example? You want to look at our Lord Jesus Christ, you will see a merciful God. And we might want to look to Calvary. I want you to follow me, if you will, to Calvary, where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, hung somewhere on that cross, somewhere between heaven and hell, with the weight of the world's sin on him. He's hanging there. In those moments, he's hanging on that cross with not just my sin, not just your sin, but the sins of the entire world 
weighting him down on that cross. Quite literally in that moment, he, Jesus, the one hanging there, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? In those moments when quite literally you and I were taking spikes and we were nailing them through his hands and we were piercing his feet and he hung in the gravity of that moment, he said the most merciful words that history has ever heard and it should echo in this gym today because he can echo it in your life, in your state. He said, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, are you kidding me? You're not going to rain down angels? You're not going to say, I told you so? This statement sums up wonderfully the mercifully and compassionate character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Because think about it for a moment. They certainly did know what they were doing. Those religious elite Jews, they knew what they were doing when they were conspiring day and night to get our Lord on the cross. Amen? They certainly knew what they were doing when they made that sham of a trial guilty. And I'm quite certain the Roman executioners knew exactly what they were doing when they butchered our Lord. But yet through it all, our Lord hung there somewhere between heaven and hell, said those merciful words and recognized via his character of mercy, he recognized the fact that there is a blinding effect that sin has on mankind. They know not what they do. They're blinded by sin. He's so merciful, he can recognize this blinding effect. You see, because there's some of us sitting here today, trust me, that know exactly what you're doing as well. Trying to keep it real with you today. Some of you know exactly what you're doing. And our Lord's waiting. He's saying to his father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I'll recognize. I'll withhold. I'm going to show pity and compassion. I'm going to condescend down to their level. He's waiting for you. Mercy found us. It came running for us. Amen? Even to the bruised reed and the flickering flame. Amen? He's a God of mercy. Amen? That's our first point. <clears throat> Second point, this is the point that my, my kids would say, no duh. You need to try to teach them something they already know, they say, no duh, dad, no duh. Everybody needs mercy. Everybody needs compassion. Did you know that? Everybody needs it. It's always at a premium. Two points. One, we needed it to be saved. Did you know that? There was a point in time where Jesus had to express and, and give us this mercy. We wouldn't be saved if he wasn't that kind of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you catch that? Who according to his abundant mercies has begotten us to a living hope. You need mercy. Titus chapter 3. I'll just say with verse 5. Not by, t- talking about how you're saved. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his. Let's hear it. Mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You got, you got to have mercy. There had to come a time where the God of all mercies gave us an opportunity to grab a hold of grace and condescended down to our level and withheld judgment and gave us an opportunity. Amen? Some of us right now are praying for people that are blinded by sin, that we're praying for salvation. Right? Some of us are doing that with our kids, with our grandkids, with our dads, with our moms, with our grandpas. Right? And there's a, a great encouraging verse in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. It talks about a pattern that the Apostle Paul showed us about that not only is he merciful and compassionate, but he's long-suffering and patient in using it. And it's a great example. I don't know. Do you guys remember the Apostle Paul? Of course we did, right? Apostle Paul. He's my favorite apostle because I'm dry and I'm a, I like the epistles and I love studying doctrine. What a, what a stallion, as Pastor Matt would say, Apostle Paul was. Right? He's the, the author of two-thirds of the New Testament, right? He was the only one that was taught directly the grace revelation that we have in our epistles by the Lord directly himself in the desert. He took him away after his conversion and taught him in visions, graphically taught him what we see in our Bible. Amen? He's an amazing person. But let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul was a murderer too. Do you know that? And I'm not talking about manslaughter. Like Moses with the Egyptian out of anger. He's a murderer, was a murderer. He planned out and conspired to kill Christians. And not just the healthy ones that could defend themselves. He ran through women and children in the name of God. Do you know that? That's your Apostle Paul. And I don't think he ever forgot it. Because if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, you'll see it reeks the fact that he never forgot that. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am the chief. That's your pastor. Wouldn't that be refreshing every once in a while if some of these preacher boys up here said, I am the worst of all of you guys, but God changed me. He said, I'm the chief. You guys think you're bad boys? I'm the chief of sinners. Verse 16, there's a great word. It's called however. For this reason I obtained mercy. That in me first Christ Jesus might show all long suffering and patience as a pattern or an example to those who will believe in him for everlasting life. As a pattern. Basically what he's saying is, hey, if you're praying for somebody and you're giving up hope, don't. Because Paul would say, I'm the example. I murdered people. I'm the chief. I'm the worst of all of you guys. And he gave me mercy for one reason. He said, in one reason alone, really, corporatively for the church, he gave it to him so that you might look at that and go, wow, even a murderer? Yeah, even a murderer. And be patient. Because his mercy isn't always, it's always tender, it's always compassionate, but it's always patient and long-suffering as well. Amen? One time my boys asked me, <clears throat> the depths of mercy and grace, they said, does that even apply to beer-drinking hippies? I said, you betcha. Especially those beer-drinking hippies. We live in Williams, so. I mean, now it's pot-smoking hippies. No. <laughs> That's the idea. Yes. 
course. Amen? Okay, more to our point here about everybody needs compassion, everybody needs mercy. How about for living? Yes, for salvation. How about for living? Here's how it works. The mercy that was extended to us is supposed to awaken in us a new mercy. To have an attitude of mercy and compassion one to another. We're supposed to do this. Right? We know the Lord expects that to be awakened in us. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, Oh man, right? I have shown you what is good and what does the Lord require of you. And do you remember what it is? It says, But to do justly and to love mercy. To walk humbly with your Lord. He expects it. How about Jesus' word when he's talking about the good Samaritan? You remember the story, right? The guy beat half to death naked, halfway to death lying on the road. The priest or the Levite, ah, no compassion for you. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. Didn't see that. But you remember the example of the Samaritan. He called him the good Samaritan. He stopped and pulled oil and wine on his wounds and healed him, clothed him, put him on his own animal, walked him to the inn and paid his way. He showed him mercy, didn't he? That's what the good Samaritan did. And Jesus said there, his words, when he was telling the story, he says, go and do likewise. Go show your mercy. Amen? We're supposed to be merciful. And I'll tell you right now, some of us aren't very good at it. Some of us are I told you so type of people. And we miss opportunities that may not ever come back. I'm that way. I can do it without talking. Do you know that? I can be judgmental and not show mercy and compassion to my kids without even talking to them. I've been coaching my kids in wrestling a couple years now. And I know it's probably no fun for them being coached by dad. Sometimes it's a two-way street. Okay, so this is what I told my kids. Hey, look, I know what I'm doing here. I've been here before. Listen, I'm pretty good at this. Here's what you need to do. Don't tie up with that guy. I want you to score from the open. I want you to stick and move. I want you to move. Use your littleness. Use what God made you. You got to use this, right? Go, go, go. He goes out there about 10 seconds later. He's tussled up, locked horns, and gets thrown for a ride, and he's on his back. And in his state of biggest need, when he's fighting off his back. See, in wrestling, if you get pinned, it's when both your, both your, your back's on the mat. And he's fighting for all he can worth. He's bridging up. He just wants to live another day, right? Make it to the second round. And he, he's looking for his corner. See, in wrestling, we don't have sidelines. we got corners, just like boxing, right? And there's one guy in his corner, and it's me. Coach Dad, and I give him one of these. Dude, I told you. <laughs> what, what, what happened to the low single? Yeah, you wanted to tie up with him, huh? Translation, hey, idiot. <laughs> I told you so. We can all beat that. We'll be like that, right? <laughs> At least I feed them when they get home if they lose. <laughs> I give them a ride. They ride in the back sometimes, but we, let them, we, we give them a ride home. Hey, look, you only get so many opportunities to treat people merciful. Did you know that? And I'm going to tell you right now, we're supposed to be merciful. I was listening to Pastor Mark at a a men's Bible study, 6.30, Friday mornings. He said, if you have to err, err on the side of being merciful and gracious. You'll never regret that. It's great advice. I don't know if I'm supposed to give that person something. I don't know if I'm supposed to withhold judgment. If you're in doubt, err on the side of being merciful and gracious because there's only so many of those opportunities you get. Some of you guys know my older brother was a drug addict. 
going to pray these with the Lord now. I believe that. But in the end, he was a drug addict. And he used to come by my office all the time. To be quite honest with you, it was embarrassing. He was dirty, living on the streets in that cycle of addiction that I cannot stand. He would come into my office. I wear a white coat to work. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a day that comes by that I regret sometimes not coming down. Dr. Vidlak, your brother's in the lobby. I'm busy. Tell him to go away. I wonder if we do that to people in our lives. You will regret that. You go down and you have compassion and you give them encouragement and you give them what you can. Will they use it? That's up to them and God. But don't miss opportunities, amen? Some of us are better than others at it. Don't be like me. Be a merciful, compassionate. You know, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 8, do you know that there is a spiritual gift of mercy? There is. Where the Holy Spirit gives you a little extra gifting in this area. And it says those people are to do with cheerfulness. Do you ever know people who administer mercy with, with cheerfulness? They're the, they're, the, they're the merciful. They are. There's people in this church body that if I named, you'd say, yep. He's a merciful man. He's a merciful woman. She's a merciful woman. Grandparents, I think God just made all merciful. Does it bug any other parent in here that their parents are so merciful to their kids? Mercy, you never got extended, amen? You're trying to discipline your kid and they're like, oh, they didn't really mean it. Let me take them for a walk and we can walk this through. I'm like, what? They tried to burn the house down. Come on. Of course they meant it. Grandparents, merciful. I want to tell you something right now. I want to encourage you here. Don't ever underestimate the power of God that can be dispensed through you to other believers by using mercy. It's powerful. I'm reminded of a nurse I met down south who was a perfect example of this. And if you've heard of this illustration of nurse mercy, if you've heard this story before, it's not to be confused with nurse mercy. Okay, it's, it's a two different things. This is nurse mercy. She's a woman who's a nurse who had the gift of mercy. She was named Mercy. You see, Mercy was a critical care nurse in a neurosurgery recovery unit at UC Irvine. My wife and I got to meet her down there when my wife was recovering from brain surgery. Some of you guys remember that thing that my wife and I went through, but we met this lady down there. And she was in charge of the whole unit. She was the charge nurse there. She was the top dog. And she was awesome. And in the, our greatest need on recovering, we had bad recovery time. My wife had some complications, and things were just going really, really bad. And the night before, my wife couldn't sleep. She was moaning all night. She had some complications in her head. She had this brain tumor removed that was about the size of a small lemon, and she, and she had complications. She, she, her, her brain and her spine didn't seal. There was things leaking. It was just super painful, and they couldn't do anything, and the nurses were very, very uh, 
frustrated. So they sent nurse, nurse, nurse Mercy in, the closer, right? They send her in. And she came waltzing in there in the morning, a whole night and day without sleeping. She walks in, and I liked her right away. She's huge African-American lady, huge. She was this huge lady who had a personality even bigger than her. She just walked in, and she said, I hear there's been some pain in this room. And my wife and I are looking at each other. <laughs> We're in trouble now. <laughs> she said, there'll be no more pain up in this room. It's like, wow. My wife laughed. That's why I liked her. She made my wife laugh. And as she's working on my wife, she noticed my Bible in the corner where I'd been living for about 10 days. And I was trying to read my Bible and stay encouraged so I could be a leader for my wife. I'm I'm reading my She said, hey, are you guys Christians? I said, oh, yeah. I said, are you? And she looked at me, and she didn't even blink. She takes this tag and kind of leans it over. It's a lanyard. It strings out right in my face. It says, Mercy, RN, critical care unit. And then she just kind of looks at, flips it, like boom. It says, Mercy, spiritual care team. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, well, Mercy, can you pray for us? And it was so funny. She says, uh, hold on. And she walks to the door, shuts the door looks back at us and says, oh, we're going to make the windows rattle up in this place. (laughs) In our darkest moment, she blew up that room. It was almost three years ago, and it still touches me, what she was able to do for me and my wife. And it wasn't her. It was the power, majesty, mercy, and compassion of our God being dispensed through her in prayers. She blew up our Lord Jesus Christ so big, it made what was going through so small. And it changed everything for the better. Amen? Don't underestimate the power of being a merciful person. Dispense God's mercies one to another. Amen? Jesus said, it's the merciful who will receive mercy. Amen? Obstacles. We want that mercy, right? But there's just a couple of quick obstacles. We'll go quick here. Listen, first one, you got to get over yourself. That's a famous saying in our house. My wife talks to me. I hate it. <laughs> but she's right. When she talks to me or Ryan and Gabe, we'll, we'll go on and, and plead our kids. She'll say, you need to get over yourself. That's what you need to do. Like somehow telling me, hey, the problem isn't the situation or them. It's really your attitude and your perspective. It's pretty myopic. You need to get over yourself. You're not viewing things right. And sometimes I think that is us when it comes to obtaining God's mercies. Somehow we have this mentality that makes us stuck that somehow we cannot or more to the point should not get God's mercy Listen to me. Listen to this verse, that we somehow our sin disqualifies us. Listen to the verse again. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Hey, if nothing else, this is a wonderful description of the very nature of Jesus' ministry, right? And the sort of people he was drawn to, the, the, the type of lives that he had affinity towards. It was the broken. It was the sick, you see. Somehow we've fallen into this buying into this lie that the Lord is really most pleased with the strong and the proud. 
that the people who fought through things spiritually and have it all figured out, at least from the outside, right? Who take care of their own problems. They don't need help. See, sometimes we buy into that lie that, that those are the type of the people that God's interested in, and he's sort of put off by the rest of us broken people. That's a lie of monumental proportions. And if you are a bruised reed and a smoldering flax today, you need to wake up and get over yourself. This text puts a lie to that reasoning. It really does. It's the broken and bruised, the nearly extinguished that God ministers to. The Lord props up with his gentle but firm hands and he flames that flame again. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, described himself as a great physician. He came to save sinners and heal sick people. So if you're a sick person, good. You're in the right spot. The Lord's close to you. He's ready to delve out his mercy to you. Right? One of my favorite parts about having doctors, a lot of doctors at Edgewater Christian Fellowship, is if I go down up here, there's a good chance one of them's going to spring into action, right? They're going to be attracted to me. They weren't attracted to you guys sitting here breathing and looking good. If I go down, someone's going to spring into action, doctor. Right? That's what they do. Doctors need sick people. Amen? So if I do go down, somebody jump up here, and you'll see them spring into action, you see? They'll come running. Doctors have great affinity for patients. Jesus Christ has great affinity. Don't buy the lie. Get over yourself and realize, listen, it's the bruised reed and the smoking flax. What attracts him to you? Look at his ministry. That's who he hung out with and who he ministered to. Amen? Hey, last point. You got to have faith, though. You got to have faith. If we are managed to get over ourselves, right? If we're managed to get to that point, we got to believe. we got to have belief that he can meet our needs, that he has the resources adequate to meet our needs, that he will stoop with pity and compassion on us weary sinners. Amen? we got to believe. we got to use our spiritual eyes. As an eye doctor, I don't like this one, but listen, it's not all about this because the world can look funky. It can play tricks on you. You need to look with your spiritual eyes. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Remember our definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you cannot see. That's faith. It's what gives those things that we're hoping for, those promises. One, that he's a merciful, compassionate God. It's what gives that reality and substance and something to hang on to. That's our faith. And we know, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that it's impossible to please God without that faith. Faith is serious business, not because God wants to put us through a scavenger hunt on a way to be blessed. He knows that's the only way to unlock his promises. That's the formula. You got to use your faith. We got to get over ourselves. Listen, I know it can be hard. Trust me. One of the blessings of teaching and doing this is there's four of them coming right back at me. This thing's a loaded gun, by the way. This is a loaded gun. I know it can be hard. It's hard to let God's mercies reign in our lives as it does over 
creation. It's hard to do that. It's hard to get over ourselves. It's hard to use our spiritual eyes. Sin has made us a timid and self-conscious creature, as well it should. Sin has. Years of rebellion against God have bred into us a fear that sometimes can't be overcome in a day. I understand that. But as the great A.W. Tozer said, the captured rebel does not willingly enter the presence of the king he has so long fought to unsuccessfully overthrow That's a great quote. The rebel who's been fighting against the causes of God, flying flying his flag of sin in rebellion and unsuccessfully overthrowing our good king. When he gets captured and put in the courtroom, he doesn't come willingly, does he? Because he knows the fear and the guilt of the running. He knows what he did and made his mind up to do. He doesn't come there willing. But yet... But yet, when the rebel comes and he truly desires by faith to partake in God's mercy and be reconciled to God, if he comes with faith and trusting the loving kindness, the mercies and the compassions of our Lord, his past will not be held against him. Do you know that? The skies over our kingdom are mercy and grace. Amen? As the worship team comes back up here, I want you to consider a couple of things, okay? When we, when we think about getting over ourselves and using our faith to obtain God's mercy, we, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, can come boldly. Do you know we can come boldly to the throne of grace? Do you remember what it says? To obtain mercy and get help in our time of need. Our God's compassionate. You don't have to stumble like a rebel into his courts. We come boldly to the throne of grace to get our mercy. We're qualified in our brokenness to get his mercy. Amen? I want to challenge you today as you're singing, as you're maybe thinking about such things. I want to challenge you. Would you come? Would you come to his mercy? Would you get over yourself with by faith, Would you partake in the mercies of God? Would you come boldly to the throne of grace, not as a rebel, but as a prince and a princess of the one true living God? Would you? In your own heart, would you choose to let God change you today? Amen? Father, we're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful that you condescended down us and sent us your son. I pray that we would If there's one in here who has not done that, Father, that they would be open to that. Father, I pray that these people will be blessed in their worship. In Jesus' name, amen.